Welcome to another episode of Health Creators. This is Liv, and I'm joined here today by Lizzie Alden, founder and CEO of Mindy. So, Lizzie, can you give us an elevator pitch of what Mindy does? Yeah, of course. Um, so, Mindy is a mental fitness company, and our vision is to give people the proven tools and a wildly supportive community that they need to practice mental fitness every day. And for those who don't know what mental fitness is, mental fitness is the proactive practice of doing small exercises on a regular basis to strengthen your mind to deal with your ups and downs. So in the same way you can strengthen your body, you can strengthen your mind. Yeah, I, I find that really interesting. There was like a paper published by um, a group, I don't know from where, but they were talking about the measure of happiness, right? And so a lot of people think that happiness is how happy you are, but what they found was that it's actually more about post-traumatic growth than actually being happy. And so that's how resilient are you to the negative things that come, right? Because there are a lot of negatives that can come in life. Um, and so it's interesting to think about how you can actually train yourself to be better at that. Um, and maybe some people are inherently stronger than others, but um, what's been your kind of experience building out this program? Yeah, um, I love that you brought that up. Uh, George Bonanno and his team have done a lot of work on post-traumatic yeah. growth. Um, I think the first way we thought about this, I thought about this when I was getting started without my team, of course, was um, just this idea of asking a question that would lead us to like something really powerful. And mm. if the point of life is not to always be happy, depending on who you talk to, the yeah. question is, well, what is it? And so the question we answer as a business is, how do you work on your mind so that it works for you? And um, I started doing research across neuroscience, positive psychology, mm. uh, sports performance, science, behavioral health. And what I found was that there were a lot of themes about certain things that you could do, but a lot of them sit very, very much in silos, yeah. and it was hard to bring them together. And so what I did was work to basically bring them together in a framework that helped you understand how to work on your mind so it works for you, whether you're new to the mental wellness space or you've been working on it over a long period of time. Um, when it comes to resilience, resilience is one of our six mental muscles. We also have three mental movements your brain needs to practice every single day. Uh, but the idea was that... The what, what are those movements? Sorry. Oh, sure. So yeah. every single day, um, your brain needs to do three things. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a stoplight, red, yellow, yeah. green. It's stop, slow, and go. So in the same way a car has to stop and mm -hmm. rest or it'll run out of gas, so does your brain. Yeah. In the same way a car needs to slow down, especially when going around turns, so does your brain. So this is about the practice of expanding your perspective. And in the same way a car has to go and make sure it's not just going, but actually clocking the miles that it's going. Your brain yeah. needs the same in order to register progress. And so we always say you have to stop slow and go to basically improve the rhythm of your life or manage the rhythm of your day. And so you can essentially train people to be more mindful about when they need to do those things. Yeah, so that's a big part of it. So stop we define as the practice of resting and building awareness in your mind. Mm -hmm. And this is encompassing things like mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Slow is the practice of expanding your perspective. So this is really pulling from cognitive behavioral therapy, creativity, 
and basically studies about the brain that show things like when we're stressed, our pupils dilate and we lose much of our peripheral vision. Mm. And so there's the actual expanding your perspective by moving your eyes, you know, back and forth. But then there's also the mental exercise of moving your brain yeah. outside of the patterns that it sees. Um, and Go is really around performance science, so setting intentions and getting really clear on productivity and what it means. I, I find it really interesting that you also looked into sport performance. Is that because um, athletes perform better when you know they're in a positive mental state? Yes, that's a huge piece. And when I think about how athletes show up, they spend mm. most of their time at practice. And they're not just practicing based on skills, mm. they're practicing like showing up with the right kind of mindset, how to yeah. manage their mental game. If, for example, they don't make a basket or they lose the winning goal. And so when you think about our customer right now at Mindy, we think about the modern professional, which mm. is really the corporate athlete who's working every single day to refine their skills. But there's also the mindset that you need to build around those skills that's equally, if not more important, to make sure you can show up on game day, in that case, maybe the presentation, yeah. the job interview, feeling really good, and also just feel good while they're at practice every day, which is really day-to-day -day work. Yeah, how, how does this help with burnout? Great question. So if you go back to the car analogy, mm -hmm. a car can't go, go, go all the time or it'll run yeah. out of gas. And so the way we think about it is if your brain needs certain mental movements every single day, stopping is one of them. Many people yeah. treat their brain like this kind of infinite asset, right? But mm -hmm. one of our favorite facts at Mindy is your brain takes up 2% of your body weight and at minimum 20% of the energy you burn every day. Yeah. So what that means is that when you are tired, when you are exhausted, many of us continue to push through. Whether you're a parent who's you know burning the candle at both ends or yeah. you are working hard, you're not sleeping, and then trying to push through and make big decisions at work. It's gonna be really, really challenging for you to do that if you're tired. And so we teach you what your brain needs at certain times of the day so that you're not just taking a break because that sounds like the right thing to do, but because your brain actually needs it to process information and be more effective over time. And so, yeah, we teach people how to use these mental movements and specific tools um, on a regular basis so that they can build mental routines that work for them. And, and when you were first building Mindy, was it like an internal tool almost that you kind of used on yourself? Because I, I guess building a startup can be sometimes even more taxing, or actually, I'm biased, but I think it is more <laughs> taxing than working at the company, right? Because you, you, you never have a stop button, essentially. It's not like, okay, we finish at this time. You can kind of perpetually keep going um, until whatever time yeah. you go to bed. So how, um, how did you kind of incorporate your experience of building your startup into Mindy? Yeah, I, I love that you asked it because I, I do every day. Mm. I always say I'm a solo founder. That was not my dream. I'm a twin, one of four kids. I love yeah. working on a team. Uh, but managing my mental game, especially before mm. building like the actual technical product, when I was just laying the groundwork for the actual research itself, um, it was essential for me to work on these things every day. So I was stopping, resting, building awareness and journaling. I was slowing, mm. learning from other founders and also doing things outside of work that would help me learn yeah. about how to think differently about everything. And then getting really clear on what a good day and week felt like. So getting really clear yeah. about my goal setting because 
to your point, like part of what's so exhausting about being an entrepreneur, and some people, you know, would argue it might be harder to work at a company for various reasons, yeah. is that there's very little structure. And so mm. you're constantly, I joke, it's not, you know, one time my boss said to me, the first startup I worked at, he said, well, check the budget. And I was like, there is no budget. He's like, make one. Yeah. You know? So there's never a moment where your brain's not fully on yeah. and you're thinking of new things. And so that's one of the hardest pieces. And so I use this every single day, but I'm always really careful to say, in the same way an exercise instructor is gonna be really probably pretty good at working out on a regular basis, but sometimes they're slightly more fit than others, I would say I'm the same way. So I'm using this stuff every day. Yeah. And sometimes I also need a bit of a nudge, whether it's by enrolling myself in some of our programs too. I actually am starting next Monday again, mm. just because I was like, you know what, I could use a little more breath work in my life. Um, yeah, I use it honestly every day. And it makes me feel ridiculous because I'm also wearing a Mindy sweatshirt right now. <laughs> I obviously believe in what we're building a yeah. lot. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the harder things about building a startup as compared to maybe working at a company is that um, in, in most things that you do in life, you have a level of input and you can expect an output. You can expect a set output. But when you're building a startup, it's very, um, it doesn't matter how much input you put in, the output is super variable. That's um, right. <laughs> and so you could essentially like be building a company for years and years and years and never have any sign of product market fit. And then like the founders of Airbnb just like, I don't know how long it took them, like four to seven years or something. It was a long time. Uh, a long time. And then suddenly just boom, like you have product market fit. Um, and so I, I think that's one of the harder things. It's just like the patience aspect, right? Um, and I was talking about this earlier today with another founder where basically the company fails when the founders give up. Yeah. And so much of that is to do with um, so resilience and how you deal with stress. Yeah, I think um, that's true. It goes back to, I, I, you know, unfortunately I am using sports analogies because they're good, especially mm. with regard to mental fitness. But I think about this a lot. When you say that, you know, oftentimes the startup can end when the founders, you know, are just like not in the right place or maybe yeah. decided to. Um, for me, it just brings up this idea that like, I think a lot of people start things, hold their breath, and expect to be able to get to a certain place. And they're mm. like, I can sleep when, or I will take breaks when, or you know, I need to check my phone all the time so that. Yeah. And the real truth is that, you know, you talk to a lot of successful founders and they all say the same, which is like, you gotta make sure you can keep going, you know, and ideally feel as good as possible with doing that. And like don't yeah. run out of cash, right? You need that. That's like a very pragmatic yeah. thing. It's one of my mantras when I'm, you know, stressed. But I think at the end of the day, like making sure you're, you can keep going. And yeah. it's not just about your body. It's not just about your relationships and everything you can see. Mm. You know, one of our favorite jokes is your brain sits behind your eyes. You forget it's there, but yeah. it empowers everything you do. And so making sure that you can make that in some way visible, in some way trackable, in some way you hold yourself accountable to taking care of it, it's really important to make sure you can, you can keep going. Uh, like it's more of a marathon than a sprint. That's exactly <laughs> it. I love that. <laughs> uh, so what made you start Mindy? Well, it's perfect timing. I mean, I needed it. Mm. Um, so first things first, like I've been looking for everything. I started working, I should say, in my 20s. I like showed up so excited, very motivated. And, you know, I just got a ton of feedback like all the time. And it just knocked me off my socks. Like, like 
like critical, critical feedback. feedback. Yeah, okay. I was working at a big bank, and it was very normal and part of the quote unquote culture. Mm. But it was really hard because I just kept feeling like I was like never enough at work. Mm. And instead of managing my mental game around it, either compartmentalizing it because the feedback was coming from you know not the right person or getting really clear on certain things I needed to fix, I just kept popping myself into therapy, being like, I'm so stressed. I'm trying to be better. You know, yeah. when I'm great, I won't get this feedback anymore. Um, so I really struggled to actually manage my stress and like this like inter- external feedback in. Mm. Um, but then I found I started to essentially help workplaces be better places to work because I assumed a lot of it had to do with the way I was get you know given feedback and if I was in the right environment, it would have felt yeah. better. Um, I went to MIT to build a quantitative research back model to fix companies. I fixed companies. Every single one of my clients from C-suite to frontline struggled with the same things that I did, which was just managing their mindset around Mm. the day-to-day. And so I started it for myself. I've been looking for this answer for a long time personally. And then professionally, it just became this kind of evolution of the problem I was trying to solve, which was making work great. And what I realized, it wasn't just about work. It was actually about giving people the tools they needed to make their lives great today, not like three years when they quit their job. So you went from banking, and I think you told me you worked at a CRO previously. Yes. Um, and then went to MIT. Um, so I worked. I went to. I worked in banking, then at a startup that went to like thirty to thousand people in three wow. years. Wow. Which one? General Assembly. General Assembly. Yeah, it's okay. an ed tech company. And then I went to cool. MIT um, because I was looking to build this quantitative research back model for culture change of companies. Yeah. Then I went to the CRO, um, and then I started Mindy. So big mix, like from finance to ed tech to MIT to clinical research. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I thought it was really interesting that you worked at a CRO um, and then with Mindy decided not to, to take that clinical development route. Yeah. The big thing I think there for me was that it was twofold. One was actually doing the research. I thought about going back and getting my PhD. Yeah. But what I realized was that the research is there. There's a lot of great Mm. stuff. We're learning new things about the brain every day. And so my goal wasn't to create a new piece of information that didn't exist. What I realized was it existed. It was just siloed. Mm. And so my job was to bring this together. And I actually brought my professor from MIT in to help me with this research and the actual framework itself. And once I started doing this framework, I was like, you know what? As I I spent about eight months, like just on this one specific question, how do you work on your mind so it works for you? Um, I started building and working with people. And what I found was there was a lot of really great options in the mental health space. So when people were struggling with episodic depression or anxiety, Mm. I call them mild mental sprains. They believe over 80% of all cases of diagnosed depression are episodic. So we all go through these difficult times. To something more severe, there's doctors, the medical profession, and also like a lot of these biotechs, pharmas, everybody is like working really hard Mm. on these mental health issues. But if you think about it as a spectrum, There's a famous spectrum called illness to wellness. If you think about wellness, what I realized was that a lot of people, including myself, just kept falling into like mental health challenges because they weren't necessarily taking care of the day to day. And so as I started building, I was super, super careful. I was having people sign waivers. I was making sure we did not talk about mental health issues. I was very clear. I'm not a therapist. You know, this was not built by therapists, Mm. but it's research informed that we were gonna help you with all the things that are available in books, but make it easier for you to access this stuff. And what I found was a lot of my clients, most of my clients are in therapy or had some sort of mm. mental health help, but they were looking for help on the behavioral side of things. Yeah. So it was hard to figure out what to do on a regular basis. 
when you could be you know, going on Vipassana retreats and working out and reading every day and building creativity into your life and journaling. And so it was kind of this overall question of help me understand what to do every day yeah. to help my brain feel like nourished and strong and energized and mm. focused, which was a big word. Um, and then help me do it, like hold me accountable to it. And yeah. so when I built the framework, originally we started with classes, but then we started building in these accountability mechanisms and testing them. And it just became increasingly clear that again, this was never a mental health kind of, like true mental health in terms of like the medical yeah. space. This was more of a wellness issue for people. I guess because it applies to more than just a patient group as well, right? That's right. Um, and I think that I've seen quite a few similar programs in digital therapeutics that apply to specific mental health conditions. That's right. Um, but in those cases, it's more symptomatic relief. So in digital therapeutics, founders talk a lot about habituation and getting used to your symptoms. Okay. Um, but I think maybe where Mindy is different is here we're really looking at how you can get to the root cause of the problem and almost like fix things before they become a problem. That's exactly it. So we're preventative. If you think about, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is this idea that stress has been a known issue for decades. Mm -hmm. Back in, I think it was like 1982, 83, it was on the cover of Time magazine and it's still one of the biggest issues of our time. Yeah. And they believe that around like, what was it, like 50 to 70% of primary care visits had some sort of stress-related component. Mm. But stress is not necessarily considered like a medical challenge. So a lot of the places I was looking, when I first started looking at the behavior change elements here were in the addiction space and weight loss. Mm. If you think about, if you are looking in healthcare, when you look at like diabetes care management, you're looking at a lot of these like behavior change apps that are really helping you to change parts of your diet and exercise yeah. and the way you make decisions. And so in a lot of ways, when you think about physical fitness, Mm -hmm. You don't get to go to the gym once and call yourself fit. I'm so sorry about that. You know, I always say, yeah. oh, what a bummer. You know, if you could drink Gatorade and be fit, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, the same is true for your mind. You know, mm -hmm. athletes, again, I keep coming back to this, they're working on their mindset every day because some seasons are good and some seasons are hard. And the point isn't to feel great about your game every day. It's to be, be ready to show up to practice all the time. Yeah. And so for us, we found that borrowing those behavior change elements from these different kind of areas, yeah. both the kind of medical space, but also the wellness space were really, really helpful in understanding that the entire fitness industry exists, gyms, personal trainers, smoothies, you name it, right? To help kind of reinforce outfits, clothing, to reinforce this behavior. And mm. we see ourselves as really building this ecosystem to help people practice mental fitness on a regular basis, knowing that there's some seasons of your life where this is gonna feel like the focus and other seasons where you're feeling pretty good. I always joke that summer is a really, really interesting time for mental wellness because a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people feel good spending more time outside. Yeah. Eating a little healthier, right? So spending more time with friends. And so yeah, there's um, there's a lot we've learned specifically from the healthcare space. But again, a lot of what we're doing is around planning and accountability for wellness behaviors. Is, is that because a lot of this content essentially does exist, but people just don't have that regularity around doing it yeah it's both I mean I think it's 
it's that and I would say the content exists, mm -hmm. but it's hard. It's locked up in, you know, 300-page nonfiction books that are fascinating, yeah. but we're all tired, so it's hard to read them. Yeah. And even when you read the book, I always say just because you read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People doesn't make you highly effective. Like, who's mm. to say that habits are the exact thing you need in that one moment? Yeah. So the information's out there. It's free. It's in books, right? People are talking about it. There's beautiful podcasts. So step one is what do I need right now? Yeah. And then step two is how do I practice this in a way that's actually doable, knowing that I, you know, most of my clients are like, oh, just making it to the gym. I don't have more time to do more things. And that's our job is to make it easy mm. and as simple as possible to do the hard thing, which is showing up for your mind every day at least 10 minutes a day. Interesting. And I like um, this element of what do I need? Does that mean uh, Mindy also has this kind of personalization component where I put in um, kind of exactly my current state and it creates a tailored program based off of that. So that's the future plan. Right now we actually okay. carry with the trainer, but oh, that's cool. where the personalization comes in. Yeah. So what we found is that human touch is super important, especially for accountability. Mm. And when I first built the program, I did a full text bot. This was a couple of years ago when ChatGPT3 was a thing. Yeah. Um, but what I found was that even though people didn't mind that there was a bot, and I was very straight up about the fact that Corey, mm -hmm. the text coach, was a text coach that was powered by these tools, they said that they wanted a human touch, that it was easy to ignore something that wasn't real. Yeah. And so we've actually built this personal training program where you get a live human who helps you set mm -hmm. up a plan and personalize it. And we have you popping into this digital gym a couple times a day. And within two weeks, we call it the momentum program. We get you momentum or unstuck in your mindset and also yeah. in your goals. Um, so the plan is to eventually create what we call like a self-service routine builder, yeah. which allows you to build your own mental routines completely personalized using our videos and experts and all of that based on what you need. You can take a quiz or pop right into the gym yourself. Um, we're just starting on that piece, but right now it's personal training for your mind. And how long have you been running Mindy for? How long have you been building it for? Um, it's been about uh, just over three and a half years. So yeah. I always like to say we are, we look like a one and a half year tech company, but it took a long time to test the research yeah. and build the model and framework that sits under everything else. What's been like the, what was the most challenging part and maybe what was the most rewarding? Um, yeah. Freaking great questions. <laughs> um, can I list more than one challenge? I feel like it's been, it's yeah. been interesting. I think, I think the first thing was like really back to your question around like, you know, are you preventative care? Where do you sit? Mm. Um, I was really, really nervous as a founder because I take people's minds really seriously. I feel like when mm. you talk a lot in startup land about building companies, like you and all the founders you know you work with and folks in this community know, you don't get to move fast and break things. Oh yeah. You don't get to do that. <laughs> it's not a healthcare thing. It's not a healthcare yeah. thing. It's not a wellness thing, frankly. Mm. I think it's like you know our greatest opportunity is creating like every opportunity to get people excited about doing mm. this kind of work because it's hard enough already, and so. I think the hard part was one, knowing to how to define ourselves in the space, and then two, get really clear on what we could deliver that doesn't exist in the market already, which is yeah. this accountability piece. Um, and then I think for me personally, the most the biggest challenge was just this idea that um, we're, we're building something that doesn't really exist right now. Yeah. And seeing something that other people can't is really lonely. You get a lot of like questions that you can't answer, especially at the beginning. Mm. And so, yeah, it was just really hard to keep, kind of keep going 
And it, I felt really lucky that I had Mindy to do that, right? To yeah. use all these tools to like, when I had those bad days, like mm. really, really making sure that I was stopping and building awareness about my feelings. And if I needed a day, I would take a day and making sure I was expanding my perspective. And healthcare has been a really special model for me because, you know, bless everyone in the space. It's really, you have to be patient. You have to be yeah. careful and intentional. So um, I'd say those were my two biggest challenges, just really making sure I, I knew where we sat and we were following the rules and that, you know, seeing, trying to build something that other people can't see is, is really lonely. Um, the most rewarding is like, it works. Like we're yeah. working with our clients, they're really happy. Nearly yeah. every single person surveyed said they've never seen anything like this before, mm. just in terms of this idea that we don't spend, if you wanna learn about the brain, we always say we've got a little bit of inspiration, but we're really here for perspiration, which is sweating mm. or doing the work. And yeah. provide you with celebration, which is support, and then results, which is tracking. So. I think mm -hmm. it's just been really, really rewarding to kind of see all of this come together and then our clients come back to us. We just had someone say, you know, her stress levels have gone down and she, you know, is really excited because she's now pregnant. And it was yeah. something that was really, really challenging for her because she knew she had to get her body ready for this big life experience. And so things like that are just really exciting when yeah. I think about we're, we're really just at the beginning of building this business. So there's more to come. Have you looked a lot into how stress impacts health? Um, you mentioned that 50 to 70% of medical visits relate to stress. Um, what about how stress impacts things like pregnancy or, um, you know, just longevity? Yeah, I think what's wild is like, when you think about a topic like stress, it touches every single part of the human experience. Mm. When you think about stress and its impact on relationships or pregnancy or anything yeah. like that, I think the thing that was also really hard when I was starting this was figuring out where we really wanted to focus. And so yeah. stress impacts, I think most functional and integrative medicine doctors will, t will agree, like it impacts nearly everything. I actually yeah. would argue that most medical doctors would say the same, yeah. um, who have like, you know, uh, an MD in any sort of specialty, mm -hmm. because in a lot of ways, the definition of stress, I think Hans, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, S-E-Y-L-E, I believe, Sile is the first Mm. guy who really discovered this as a topic and he found that stress was really about this like friction um, in a system and when you mm. think about stress and friction in our systems it creates all sorts of challenges within your body yeah. and so it kind of touches a bit of everything but like I said once I learned what we were really here to do which is help people practice behaviors that reduce stress it became increasingly clear that while those outcomes were super super important for us we're not at a place quite yet to start tracking them mm. um, but our next step in hopefully the next six to 12 months is to submit a lot of our tests and data to yeah. um, study by universities. Are, are there groups of individuals who are naturally more stress resistant than others? I have to believe the answer is yes. Yeah. But I haven't studied that in particular. I always thought that would be an interesting way of approaching it as well. Yeah. Like, can we study people who are more stress resistant versus those who aren't and like pick out why genetically or phenotypically they're different. That's fascinating. I think it's interesting. So I talked about the mental movements, mm. but then there's mental muscles that we work on. Confidence, yeah. optimism, resilience, energy, heart, and focus. And all of these are directly tied to a couple different professors. So, you know, there's yeah. hundreds of people who've studied any one of these topics. 
But when I think about that, I actually do think a lot about something like post-traumatic growth and George mm. Bonanno and his team and resilience, which is there's they found basically, there's actually a bunch of professors that come to mind that psychologically speaking, less physically, mm. that there were people who came out of traumatic situations who did yeah. not, who would never want them to happen again, but who ended up feeling stronger as a result of mm. that. And then you've got Martin Seligman, the founder of positive psychology, who actually, he wrote a book called Learn to Optimism, it's fantastic, who talks about this idea that there's two types of optimism. There's dispositional optimism. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the look and feel and how you show up every day. Yeah. But then there's the way you explain things when things go right versus things go wrong. And he ended up getting very famous because he was doing studies on rats that showed that rats you know, used mm -hmm. to hit the food pellet dispenser and if they basically were hitting it and the food stopped coming out or was variably yeah. coming out, or they learned it would never come out, they would give up. But yeah. some people never gave up, gave up. And I think that's something that's consistently being studied over time. Um, but what they found is that these thought patterns, the way people explain things when things go right versus when things go wrong, is something teachable. Interesting. And so that's like, so Mindy started because we actually were looking at confidence as the first mental muscle. Mm. Um, and we've kind of gone through this cycle. There's a cycle of moving through these points where you feel stuck. So while stress is an outcome for some people, burnout is an outcome of, you know, we'll say not yeah. feeling these things. We've kind of looked at like the root causes and it's a, it's, it's complicated, I would say. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I read like Atomic Habits and he goes in to talk about how if you position yourself as someone who, uh, for example, is not an early bird, then you just automatically create that identity for yourself and therefore you become. And so I think that's an interesting one too, um, that that's maybe relating to how you explain things. Exactly. Yeah. And we actually, um, heart is one of our mental muscles. And yeah. uh, people hear that and they're like, that doesn't feel very scientific. Well, we're literally yeah. talking about your physical heart. There was a study in 1990 um, by a group called HeartMath and they showed that your heart sends more signals to your head than your head sends to your heart. Mm meaning the way you feel truly affects the way that you think. Whereas we used to think that how we thought would affect our feelings. Yeah. And so why that's important is because there's different ways that you could kind of like unpack this idea of heart or how to affect your emotions or feelings. Yeah. Um, but identity is a huge part of that. Who we believe we are and how we feel about that matters. And so when James Clear is talking about this idea that like if you don't see yourself as a morning person, you won't be. Right, that's connected to both what's true for you and how you feel, but also your thought patterns in your head and optimism. So I love that you brought those up. Um, yeah, there's, I think, again, there's something really beautiful about this idea that there's a ton of work. I mean, the, the brain's the most complex thing ever found on yeah. the planet. Um, and we're learning more and more every day. Mm. But that there is a lot of work done, and it makes me really excited every time I spend more and more time with some of these academics because I was like, yeah, I don't. I don't need, and this company doesn't necessarily need to come up with our own theory. We just want to package it so people can use yeah. it every day. Now that you've been doing this for three and a half years, yeah. what do you think is the number one thing you would recommend for someone building a startup? I think the number one thing I would recommend to somebody building a startup, besides keep going and don't run out of cash, yeah. is make sure that you really, really care about yeah. what you're building. I think mm -hmm. that's like the best way to inoculate yourself against the ups and downs. It goes back mm -hmm. to that heart piece. It's like if you can feel, if you can feel connected in some way to this idea, 
either because mm. you personally, I mean, this is, you know, I'm biased. I needed this, so I feel lucky because I'm building yeah. something I need. And when something feels off, I can, as a customer, I know that. Um, but I would say find a way to care very deeply about mm. what you do because if your goal is, I always say there's a lot easier ways I hope to make money. You could sit and play the lottery every day. You know, it's like <laughs> there's there's so much that goes into building, like you said yeah. earlier. But um, whether you find the idea that you personally need to solve for, you find a, a co-founder who lights you up and you just feel like you could do anything together, or you feel like it's a problem space that you can't wait to continue to learn about for the rest of your mm. life, just finding that reason to light yourself up, again, create those good feelings, will create more positive thinking and clearer thinking over time. And what's the number one thing not to do? And do you have like a story behind that? Yeah, the number one thing not to do when you start a business? Yeah, starting a startup, yeah. Mm. So one of my favorite books, I learned a lot about starting startups and companies mm. and building, actually not from other entrepreneurs. I do listen to how I built this and I read books all the time, but it's actually from the creative space, from artists. Mm. So like I'm doing the artist's way and I've like read a lot about writing. And one of my favorite books is by Stephen King. It's called mm. On Writing. And he basically said, when you're creating a story, you're basically creating this whole new world and it's like an infant. And if you yeah. share the story before the story is like grown up and a little bit more solid, people will poke holes in it and mm. it, like it will die because it's too young to withstand like, like poking from everybody because we all have very critical brains. It's what we yeah. do, right? When someone asks you for feedback, they really share the good stuff before they share the hard stuff. It's because we have these biases yeah. and heuristics we use every day. Um, but what I love what he said is just make sure you protect it until it's ready. Mm. And then once you are ready to share this, make sure you share it with this like very comfortable group and then mm. let it out into the world. So kind of be really gentle with your idea and treat it like a baby. Yeah. And um, I think when I first started, I, I thought it was powerful and mm. empowering and you know, talk about it, you'll learn things. And I think I got really discouraged very early, mm. especially from the medical community and also some of the folks I met with, which is like, well, you're not a therapist. You don't know. You need mm. to go back to school. And it was a lot of things that I wasn't as opposed to what I did have, right? And so yeah. if you have this idea, I encourage people to spend a little bit of time growing it in a safe space before they bring it out to the world because there's every reason in the world not to build. But there's also, like, people who need you, especially in the healthcare space. Yeah. So. And last question for me. What's the number one impact you want to leave on the world today with Mindy? Mindy. Um, I would say the number one impact that we want to make in the world with Mindy is actually two things. The first is we want to create a world where people are late to brunch because they're working on their mind. It's just something you do, and it's something that helps everything else in your life feel better, from your physical health outcomes to your relationships. Everything feels good because it's just something you work on on a regular basis. And the second thing is that we really want to truly meaningfully fix the mental health crisis from first principles. So not just help people who are struggling, but really create a channel for prevention. And so that is what we hope to do with Mindy over the next couple of years. So in addition to the Health Creators community, you'll also find everything you need on healthcreators.co. That includes our educational tracks, vendor selection tools, CRO databases, and even which investors you should be talking to. When you log into healthcreators.co, you'll also have direct access to New Root for clinical development and a bunch of other resources, 
you need to build better companies in healthcare.